the light bulb went off is, uh, what are we feeding our animals? listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 74 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. I am incredibly excited for you to meet today's guest, Dr. Marty Goldstein. I'm sure for some of you, this man does not even need an introduction. Dr. Marty has been a leading voice in integrative veterinary medicine for more than 45 years. He is the best-selling author of two books, The Nature of Animal Healing and The Spirit of Animal Healing. And he's also working on a third book that we're going to hear about today. And maybe you've seen Dr. Marty appear before on Oprah, on The Martha Stewart Show, on Good Morning America. And there's even an amazing documentary about him called The Dog Doc. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Marty is here today to share with us about his journey his story of wanting to become a veterinarian. And it was fascinating to hear that it was Dr. Marty's own health issues that led to him looking for answers beyond conventional medicine. And as I listened to this story of Dr. Marty telling us about the last 50 years of his life, the word that just kept coming up in my mind is the struggle. I mean, this man had his license threatened numerous times. This man nearly went bankrupt. And he tells us that in spite of all of this, it was easy for him to keep going because he knew that it was all about the truth. And he shares with us some mind-blowing statistics that back in 1973, when he graduated from veterinary school, one in 10 dogs would be diagnosed with cancer. And it was usually a disease of older dogs. But yet here today, 50 years later, we think we've made so much progress But one in 1.61 dogs is now getting cancer. That's not just bad luck. (laughs) And it's younger and younger dogs all the time. So what's changed in the last 50 years? Dr. Marty's going to talk about that. And he'll share with us the three biggest factors that he's seen contribute to this increase in cancer rates in our dogs. And one thing I learned about Dr. Marty is that as much as he loves animals and health, he'll share with us that music is his next biggest love and passion in life. And he's going to give us a sneak preview of some of the stories coming out in his third book that he's working on right now. I think you're going to love this conversation with Dr. Marty Goldstein. So we are here today with renowned veterinarian, Dr. Marty Goldstein. It is an incredible honor for me to get to speak with you today. How are you? I'm very good. Look at my cup. (laughs) What's that say? Who rescued who? Who rescued who with a paw print? Oh, I love that. That's what it's all about. Who rescued who? (laughs) Absolutely. It's certainly in my life. It's it's actually why I I started this podcast. You know, I, I always tell this story that I did not grow up with 
pets or animals. And it was when my husband uh, wanted to get a dog uh, when I was 25. And I was kind of reluctant. I didn't know. And it turns out I'm a dog person and didn't know it. And uh, 20 years later, here we are. And and I'm starting a podcast and just being able to spread the word about how the love of animals changes our lives. Yes. I was curious with you, are you somebody who grew up with pets and animals in your life? Oh, absolutely. Ever since I could remember you know, it was always, you know, the, the dog, then the cats entered. You know, I've never been without a companion animal. Was it always your goal to become a veterinarian? My brother uh, went to vet school five years before me. So when it came time for me to decide what I wanted to do with my love for animals, it was a no brainer following his footsteps. And you said it was just 50 years ago this week, right, that you graduated? I graduated Cornell Vet School this week, 50 years ago. I was at my 50-year reunion. Oh, that's wonderful. So when you first got out of vet school, how long did it take before you started to realize maybe all is not right with, with what I had learned and with what I'm seeing in the world, and this is not adding up? Not long at all because I had my own genetically based degenerative conditions. Uh, They all ran on my mother's side of the family and I was getting treated for my chronic bursitis and arthritis. And I stumbled upon by luck, a book on uh, Eastern philosophy and Eastern diet. I was always very fat, believe it or not. And always try to lose weight. Miraculously, I lost 20 pounds in eight days eating brown rice and my arthritis signs went away. And it was like this huge wake up call. And then if it, you know, and then became, I enrolled, became certified in acupuncture in 1975. But even before that, the light bulb went off is, uh, what are we feeding our animals? And I started to look at labels of like dog food in those days we were taught we only sold and we only fed our own dogs the semi-moist foods Gainsburgers and top choice and when i looked at the label i saw that they were missing one thing food (laughs) (laughs) it was all chemical preservative carcinogen garbage you know you throw a, a, a burger in the bowl and you come back five days later, pick it up, and it's still red and moist. That's not food. Right. So we we changed the diet on our own companion dogs that had arthritis and allergies. And within a week or two, they, got, they were better. And it was like, oh, is it this easy? And as I went out to share what, you know, my brother and I were experiencing, condemnation, ridicule, threats to my license. It was an absolute hell the next 20, 25, 30 years. But because it worked so well, especially when we started to get into the use of nutritional supplements, just started to document the reversal and the turnaround of case after case after case. Rumors spread all over the country. And I was seeing in the 90s and 2000s, an average of 25 states of the United States in my waiting room every month because no one else was doing this. So, yeah, it was a, a long but very rewarding haul. 
I'm glad that you found it rewarding because I was wondering, you know, what keeps you going when you're having so much criticism and, you know, your license is being threatened. I mean, those are no, not not easy things for everyone to withstand. You know what kept, kept me going and kept us going? It's called the truth. And, you know, almost claiming bankruptcy two or three times, it got so bad, you know, if we treated one dog alternatively with cancer and it died, we were, you know, our license were, was up for grabs because we weren't using standardized conventional accepted therapies. So it was hard to charge a lot. But every time we actually took a look and said it would be so much easier, life would be so much easier if we just went back to conventional medicine, my brother and I would look at each other and we go, I can't do that. Because, <laughs> you know, when I graduated Cornell 50 years ago, it was approximately one out of 10 dogs got cancer. And it was always a disease of the old. Uh, in my recent book, The Spirit of Animal Healing, uh, that I released two years ago, I show a study, a very prominent study, that shows modern statistic, one out of every 1.61 dogs in the United States now will get cancer, and it's a disease of the young. So I witnessed the incident to cancer triple or quadruple, and it's not just bad luck. There's reasons for it. The main reason is healthcare, true healthcare is not really taught in medical school. It's a disease-oriented establishment, so diagnose disease and drug it. So we've created disease because that's been our focus. So what all has changed over the past 50 years? It has changed way too slowly. Uh, funny, it was 1978, my license was verbally threatened for treating arthritic dogs with glucosamine sulfate. Do you know how much glucosamine sulfate is sold in veterinary medicine a year? Half a billion dollars. I believe it. I believe and it. And acupuncture, I was certified in 1975. That's when the arrows started to pierce my back. <laughs> and now I think it's 68 to 70% of all the vet, vet schools not only embrace acupuncture, but they're starting to teach it. They have acupuncturists on board. Uh, supplements. One of the number one selling supplements right now in conventional medicine is called Denimarin for the liver, which is Denisil and Milk Thistle. I was using that stuff back in the 70s. But now if a dog has a liver problem, 85, 90% of all vets will prescribe Denimarin. So it is starting to change. Uh, my advantage, I actually, when I was in Cornell Vet School, I won it was called the Philanthropic Photography Award. I was really into photography. I photographed everything. So when I graduated, I photographed all my cases. Oh. Not to prove anything, because it was what I did. And when these, when these terminal, hopeless cases started to turn around, I had the records and I had the photographs. So I started to put them in, into slide. It was no PowerPoint. It was Kodak <laughs> slide carousels. And I started to do these presentations and, you know, words started to really get out there because I did document. And now I'm in a position where uh, last end of last week, I met for two hours with the head of clinical sciences at the Cornell Veterinary College, gave a two hour presentation of animals that had literally weeks 
to live by some of the most renowned oncologists in the United States. And I showed these animals alive four to nine years later with all the medical records and all the biopsies and all the photographs. And I just looked at them and I said, as great as Cornell is, as much as I love this school, you can't do this. I know, I was taught here. I've been up to date with my continuing education. So it's time that you start to embrace this because you're in it for the animals. And he goes, I got it. <laughs> so, you know, step by step, we're going to see if we can really infiltrate a university like Cornell. Well, you know, you had shared a, a story in the book that uh, 93% of s veterinary students on a survey were interested in learning these alternative therapies. And yet the administration's line was, you know, that they weren't going to do that. And it was like, a, we're not going to let the inmates run the asylum kind of thing. That was That's what happened. The first time I lectured at Cornell, maybe 10, 12 years ago, that's what I was told. I mean, fortunately, not to be crude, uh, that wall of resistance slowly but surely are dying off. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the documentary that they did on me. The dog oh, yes, dog. the dog doc, yes. You saw at the end, I lectured to the student body at Cornell. They loved it. Yeah. I mean, they, they're really into this. So, And that's what this head of clinical sciences told me. He said that uh, kind of also fortunately, because of COVID, at Cornell alone, there was a 30% turnover of staff because all of, you know, it's just common sense. All of the older faculty, once COVID hit and everyone was literally almost out of a job, they couldn't come to work. That was an excuse for them to retire. So there's been a huge turnover due to COVID and the new blood that's coming in is great. Plus, when I was at Cornell, it was a class of 60, 58 males, two females. <laughs> in 1972, we had a lecture on this last Friday. It changed. And now the coming in class of next year at the Cornell Vet School is 126 students, 79% female. That doesn't surprise me. To 79%. And, you know... Females have a bigger heart. They're more open to these natural ways. And it's great. So take us back. How did you first get turned on to things like acupuncture? And you tell a funny story about one of the first times you ever saw it work on a, on a dog, on a puppy. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I stayed, I was at Cornell for, for eight years. And I loved it so much. I lived in Ithaca when I graduated and got a job in Elmira, horse heads. <laughs> uh, and it was funny, but I found out years later, you'll read it, my, my next book is Only Stories. And uh, my the bartender there, who I remained great friends with ever since Cornell all the way through, because wherever I moved, he also moved. And when I used to go to a restaurant or bar, he was the bartender there. Uh, he informed me that I was actually at this local bar. I was beating Tommy Hilfiger in pool. <laughs> and I used to get my clothes at a place called the People's Place. That was Tommy Hilfiger's first place. Oh, right. So it, it, was all, it, it, it all comes full circle. But 
the president of my undergrad fraternity, who graduated a year before me from the vet school, took a job in Horseheads, Elmira, and he came to me and said, we're expanding here, and the owner of the practice is thinking you may be hiring a third vet. Would you want to work here? Boom, yes, it was a half hour from Ithaca. And I watched, it was Eddie Becker, my associate. He studied acupuncture at the first International Veterinary Acupuncture Society in 74. And he came back and did a couple of demonstrations and it blew my mind. So I immediately signed up to the second, I, it was called the IVS seminar. And there I was in Atlanta, Georgia, becoming certified in acupuncture. And that's when the condemnation really hit me because I, I'm the kind of person that when I see something that's great, I like to share it. Right. Not close, closed mouth. So I, the more I shared it, the more I got ridiculed and condemned. And funny, the only person that got me any kind of credibility was Richard Nixon. Oh. Because <laughs> he sent a team that year to China and he photographed people getting brain surgery and lung surgery awake under acupuncture. And it gave acupuncture credibility. So I kept on referring to our dear president. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was telling you, I never had a dog until 2004. And when uh, we first got our dog, I, you know, I just thought you went to the grocery store and bought bags dog food that's what i had seen my whole life on tv and commercials and you know it was a couple years later when i learned that there were other ways of feeding of fresh feeding models and it blew my mind and you know i was having this sort of revolution with taking care of my own health as i was getting a little older and taking care of my dog's health and realizing that you know what we eat makes such an impact on us yeah you know it's just unfortunately in, in my second book, I, I lay down the fundamentals of health and healing in both books. And in the updated version, my definition of science in the field of medicine is man trying to figure out what nature created. As technologically advanced as conventional medicine has become, it's mind-blowing. The CAT scans, the dye studies, the ability to dissect out every single biochemical on a metabolic pathway... But guess what? We, we don't have the ability to create that. We're just learning about it, and nature created it. So we have to really watch out about scientifically appropriate diet. The diet to feed a dog and a cat or any animal is what I call a biologically appropriate diet. Show me one tooth and a dog and a cat's mouth flat for grinding cereal and grain. But the majority of the big successful pet foods have been 50 to 64% processed corn, brown, rotten, you know, white rice, oatmeal, millet, you know, all of that stuff. And it's just not biologically appropriate. And science, Greg Ogilvy, one of God's gifts to our profession from Colorado State University, demonstrated that the byproducts of grain metabolism, which is glucose and lactate, supply the growth of cancer cells in dogs. So we're feeding cancer by feeding sugar. And so it's no wonder then that we see these statistics these days. Right. That's why I've witnessed, one of the reasons I've witnessed the incident of cancer since I graduated school, at least triple. 
And so I really enjoyed how you laid out in the book about like the history of the pet food industry, you know, going back to like the Sprat biscuits and, you know, and all just how it's just been marketed to us. And, you know, you see these commercials of these dogs bounding through the fields and we see these bags in the store that have like steaks on the front of them. And yeah, falling from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, the, the turnarounds in my career is that I actually scored Martha Stewart and Oprah Winfrey in the same year. <laughs> it was not because my personality or my looks. It's because this works. Uh, Martha gave me my own show on Sirius for six years, which was great. We had so many people from around the nation calling in. But the first or second time she had me on her TV show, we put on the formula of a dog food almost identical to the sponsor of her show. Uh, we obviously didn't have the name of the food. Right. The first ingredient was corn. Right. The producers allowed me to turn to Martha and say, Martha, have you ever seen a dog stalk an ear of corn? <laughs> and I found out through her producer, who was my producer for six years, that they got more calls from that one line than they did in the last three months of the show. And it's true. <laughs> was it very validating to you to start getting this kind of attention? <laughs> yeah, it was... I mean, my life was such a struggle. You see it in the dog doc. I mean, I struggled for 40 years just to make enough money to buy food and gasoline, you know, just sticking to my ways of being an alternative veterinarian. So I didn't really have time to plug into the ego of all of it. It felt great. It was very rewarding for Oprah to fly her dog in. That was, you know, near near terminal, had, you know, four major conditions. And she left the dog with me. She f sent a jet to pick the dog in on Friday. I have emails from Oprah in 2007 saying, I'm in disbelief how well my dog Sophie is doing on your program. Those things do feel good. <laughs> and especially if it brings recognition so others start to listen. Right. So I really enjoyed how you went into these different, I like to call them tools in the toolbox. Do you have a preference of whether you call it like alternative or complementary or holistic uh, care? Ah, great question. When I came out, it was holistic medicine. I mean, the word holistic, I don't think existed in the dictionary. And I think there's a big misunderstanding. Everyone thinks conventional medicine is over here. And holistic is over here. That is wrong. Conventional is here. Alternative therapies, naturally based therapies are here. Holistic medicine is, should be the true umbrella on the both. Then it graduated to complementary, where one complements the other. Now it's in the wonderful world of integrative medicine. When I used to uh, lecture with and hang out with Andrew Weil, you know, the, he wrote many books on medicine. Yeah. He said that someday we should be calling it one medicine. But the truth is, we should be calling it good medicine. Right. Period. And having the best of both worlds to know what to choose from. You know, if you could use a nutritional supplement and an acupuncture or an intravenous vitamin C over chemotherapy or radiation, which are toxic themselves, immune suppressive and cause cancer, why wouldn't you take the first one? 
that has literally no side effects. Duh. <laughs> so I know, I know from the dog doc and uh, and from your book, you you go into some of the the different therapies and the different tools in the toolbox that you use, like cryo surgery and the vitamin C therapy and. I was really excited that you touched on the microbiome and the fecal microbiome transplants. That actually saved my dog Penny when she had a major health crisis that we yep. think had been caused by um, overuse of antibiotics. And I'm, I'm just so excited. Do you have any favorites or any like unsung heroes that you don't think enough people know about? Well, I did write in the book about PEMF therapy, pulsed yes. electromagnetic frequency. Yes. After doing alternatives and seeing tens of thousands of cases between my associates and me turn around, I didn't think I would stumble upon anything that would be earth shattering or would change my concept. And then six, seven years ago, we stumbled upon PEMF therapy, originally created by Nikolai Tesla. So we're dealing with real stuff came out of the NASA space program. It has so much documentation online, PubMed, NIH studies. It's real scientific medicine, but hardly anyone knows about it. And it has almost no side effects. And what I've seen it do for animals and friends or family or myself that I treat, you know, they come over to their house, they sprain their ankle, treat them for 10 minutes, they get up and they walk away normal. It's at that level, but it's so documented to be anti-inflammatory, reduce pain, speed up wound healing. NASA space programs show that it actually lays down new stem cells and fracture sites and it has almost no side effects. So, yeah, that's that's my new pet is <laughs> pulse electromagnetic frequency. It's it's amazing. And, some, you know, one of the biggest hospitals in the United States now sells the small unit, which is only $300, that's a battery and a coil, to their arthritic patients on discharge. So it's being accepted, finally. I had no idea. I've, I'm familiar with that, with those uh, tools, but I had, didn't realize that that was a, a Tesla invention. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That's fascinating. That guy was pretty smart. Ahead <laughs> <laughs> of his time, for sure. For any pet parent who's might be feeling overwhelmed, um, you know, I hear from people like, I'm, I'm just doing what my vet says because, you know, they went to vet school. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trusting what they said. How do they start taking the first steps to ensure that their pet is really receiving proper nutrition and proper care? Well, I mean, education is the key. Reading books like the two that I wrote, uh, there is one, you know, the number one doctor on the planet, we all know, Dr. Google. <laughs> and, you know, it's said that, Dr., you know, Google increased the IQ of the human race 100 points at least. And as great as it is, it tends to get, well, could be dangerous. I, I've seen so many non-responsive cancer patients come to me after thousands of dollars worth of therapy and the people have a box of 22 different supplements that they found online, but the animal is dying or they wouldn't come to me. So we have to watch out about the confusion. My number one advice always is 
if your veterinarian is not open to these, not only these new therapies that are 3,000 years old on the planet, but if they're not open to discuss with you things you know to be true, like biologically appropriate diets. I've seen so many people threaten to be kicked out of the practice for feeding raw diet to their animals. Yeah. I've had to change my vet because of philosophical differences in the past. Yeah. So that's my advice. You know, there is a site, the ahvma.org, American Holistic Veterinary Medical Organization. And that site lists all the integrated veterinarians in the country and Canada by state, by modalities, you know, so... If your vet is definitely antagonistic to the things you know to be true, either by common sense or by nature or by what you did become educated on, and they're unwilling to accept it, hasta, hasta luego, baby. <laughs> well, I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes to that website so that our listeners can find it. Yeah, easily. it's really important to you saw in a documentary my button collection, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they they pay $5,000 to film all day my button collection, to set it up in the drawer and stuff like that for a six-second thing. I have <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of animal buttons. <laughs> but people say, how did that start? When I was a student at Cornell, I had a button collection. All these psychedelic buttons with balloons. And, you know, those were the days, the 60s. But there was one button that I had, very plain. I still have it, yellow, yellowish orange and black. And it said, question authority. And I wore it every day. <laughs> and it's not, don't go against authority, but question, question. it. If it does, I can't tell you how much I learned from my clients over the years. The breeders that come in that are into integrative therapy, their entire life is learning about uh, healthcare for their breed. I learned so much from them. And veterinarians, unfortunately, are so busy in their life working their tush off that they don't have time to become updated, to go on the computer, to go to as many continuing education courses as the lay person. So yeah, question authority. So I'm laughing because uh, we, my husband and I have this uh, little filing cabinet right here in this room where I'm recording. It has a bunch of stickers and things that we've collected over the years. And we have that sticker on our <laughs> cabinet right, right here. <laughs> it's a very, very important thing because over the years, you know, the, the doctor has become God, whatever my doctor says. And I'm telling you, I went through that education process. I was number two in my class the initial years. I know medicine really well. I know what's taught there. I know what's still taught there. And there's a huge lack of health care. So the doctor does not know everything when it comes to proper nutrition, subsidized by the pet, by the pet food industry, and the drug companies. They hardly know anything Really? Yeah, I, I believe that. I, it's a shame. So you actually lay out 
I thought this was so great the way you laid this out, like that there's three key factors to causing cancer. And for instance, I'm some, you talked about like the, the breeders who are dedicated to healthcare and that covers one of them with genetics, although I do a ton of rescue and shelter kind of volunteer work. So I don't always know the genetics of, of the dogs that I'm getting. But the other two you list are vaccinations and food. And those are definitely things that as pet parents, we can control. Well, the biggie is the first one. And like you saw in the documentary, I'm not anti-vaccine. I am pro-sanity. Uh, with the amount of scientific documentation on how long immunity lasts in dogs and cats after standardized vaccines up to one year of age, with the dose of the Chihuahua being the same dose to the Great Dane, and that dose, according to USDA studies, could be up to 10 times what the Great Dane needs, and with the documented medical scientific side effects and adverse reactions to vaccines, why are we still vaccinating all these animals every three, two, or one year? When was your last polio shot? When was your last measles shot? They're the same. And to me, it's the number one disease-causing immune-suppressive agent that we're still abiding by and it has to change. Not adverse to vaccines. We have the ability to take a blood test called a titer on a dog and a cat for their major diseases. So if you take a titer for distemper and parvo and it shows ample protection, don't vaccinate. Period. It's going to, it causes so, I can't tell you the thousands and thousands of animals that came to our practice where they had between twenty dollars and $60,000 worth of therapy, non-responsive, and we go back in the history. And before the first symptoms of disease occur, three weeks before, they went in for all their vaccines at the age of 10 or 11. And why are we vaccinating animals that are sick? Because they're due with vaccines when on the label, every label of a vaccine, it says, intended for use in healthy animals only. We've seen thousands of cancer patients and chronically debilitated animals get their rabies shot or their distemper shot at the age of 13 because they were due by a calendar. It's crazy. One of my dogs uh, had mast cell and was vaccinated. And I, and that, that is why I no longer am welcome in that vet office. <laughs> and there is a, a complex called the allergic breakthrough phenomena, medically proven in the human field and now in the veterinary field, where the vaccine in, in, instigates an allergic reaction in the body against the body's own cell. Mass cell cancer is an epidemic. Mass cells contain histamine, which is the allergy component. So my own belief is the reason that mast cell cancer is an epidemic right now is because the allergic breakthrough phenomenon instigated by the vaccines. So why would you give a dog with mast cell cancer an instigator of allergies and, and histamine? It's malpractice, period. But it's done four times a second in the United States. Absolutely. <laughs> Including, and, and I was never even asked 
it was just done. You know, that I it's guess that was done. the thing that. And this is what I, my life's work is heading towards is just to bring the science of it into, into conventional veterinary medicine. Shouldn't they know this? If it's scientifically backed by university studies, they need a wake up call. They need someone with a big mouth like me. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I, I also enjoyed that you touched on in your book, and it's something that I've, I've talked about a lot is that our animals will often are often trying to tell us that something is wrong and it's up to us to listen. And I love that you had a quote about like, you know, your dog and you know, it's okay for you to use your own judgment when making decisions for your dog. If something doesn't sound right, if something doesn't feel right. And I think that's just such an empowering message that pet parents need to hear that we're kind of the experts in our own animals because we live with them all day, every day. It's so true. I mean, I've seen so many people that are really smart and really into healthcare for themselves. They're trained athletes and this and that. And, you know, their diet is immaculate. And then all of a sudden you bring up the topic of pet, of what are you feeding your dog? Oh, you know, the, the bag that we buy, this scientific, you know, food. And then you go through it. And it's like, how can you be so astute for your own diet and at the same time so brain dead about what you're feeding your companion animal? And it's a huge wake-up call for so many people. It's like, I never even realized. I just listened to my veterinarian or to the science of it. So you had started to touch on this a little bit, but... Have, has all that you've learned about animal, does that also affect how you take care of yourself and your own health and wellness? Well, it started the other way. Okay. You know, almost, when I turned my own health around and then started to cook for our own family animals and they turned around, I started to go to health food store. I had to travel 30 miles to the nearest health food store. And they were very well-educated people working there. And I learned a lot from them. And I would try a supplement based on their recommendation. If it worked on me, I would give it to my dog at a lower dose. So almost every supplement I used for the first 15 years of my practice were human supplements. When I graduated Cornell, there was one supplement for animals in the United States. It's called Pet Tabs, made by a drug company. It's still in existence. Do you have any supplements for animals there are right now? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, countless. <laughs> That's where the confusion comes in. You know, I developed my own line uh, under Dr. Marty Pets, And the advantage of it is that it's backed by 47 years of experience turning hopeless cases around. So I took those ingredients that worked, put them into the right dosage, so we're getting a line of supplements that are based on tons of experience, not based on tons of Google posts. And I'll tell you the most rewarding aspect of my life right now is the testimonials that I am getting through my company every single day for animals, how well they're doing, how well they turn around. I'm getting calls to my old practice that I still consult with from veterinarians who had non-responsive cases where the people went online, bought the food and supplements, and in one week they turned around and the veterinarians are going, 
What are you doing? Can you teach me? Can I buy this stuff and this and that? That is the most rewarding aspect of my life right now. That's amazing. Do you have any favorite stories of clients you've worked with? I mean, I'm sure Oprah is probably a cool one to be able to throw out at parties. But (laughs) But here's the scoop. We were commissioned for my second book to write 65,000 words. And with my co-writer from San Diego, we wrote 95,000 words. And they contain a lot of stories. So publicists and book companies don't like if you go that much over. It's (laughs) more expensive to them. So they allowed us to present 85,000 words, but we had to cut out 10,000 words. And those were the stories, some of the great stories. So my co-writer said, why don't we just write a third book? Right now, we're already up to 70 stories and we're still going. And they're all related with some of the amazing people I met, some of the crazy celebrities I met through the animal kingdom. And I'm telling you, these stories are amazing. One after another, after another. So, you know, we'll probably self-publish that book and come out and I can tell you one story. Okay. (laughs) So 1999, the book comes out. It was so popular that Random House put me on two book tours. And book tours back then were hell. (laughs) You're in a cab, you're in a limo, you're on an airplane, you know, you go from town to town to town, and it's exhausting. So they put me up in Austin, Texas, which is one of the greatest towns in the United States. And they said, we're going to put you up for two days. Take the night off. I said, oh, awesome. So I go out to a restaurant bar that has live music because music to me is equally as important as all my work with animals and I always looked younger than I was especially once I started to get healthy you know I'm 58 years older than my youngest daughter right now and when I went to my reunion my classmates that did show up the ones that aren't dead they said, oh, my God, you look 20 years younger than you, you never really aged. Were you like, who are all these old guys? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very hard to recognize them. So I was, I think, in 52 years old, and I got proofed to get in the door. So I take my license out of my wallet, and the guy looks at it and goes, oh, you apologized. <laughs> he goes, oh, my God, why did I prove you? And... I put it in my pants pocket, go and have a great time. Now, this is pre-9-11. I go, get up the next morning, I pack all my stuff, I go to the airport, and I get to the, you know, the, the, the ticket counter, and you needed a, a, an ID, a picture ID. Take my wallet out, the license is not in there, It's in my pants, in my luggage, somewhere on the plane. And it's like there was no cell phones. My wife, who was my fiance, you know, can I call her? And she faxes a picture of me. And it was like, and the the, the lady was so nice, but she said, I can't let you on the plane. And then I realized in my carry-on, I have two copies of my book with my picture on the book with a dog and a cat. I take it out and she goes, that's you. There's your name. I'll let you on. And she goes, what's this book about? So I go, it's about 
uh, animal health and blah, 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 this and that. She goes, I have two dogs I love and this and that. So I give her a copy of the book. And she goes, oh, that is so nice of you. I have an extra seat in first class. I'm putting you in first class. I never, I couldn't afford an airplane, let alone first class. So I go on a first class and I am absolutely elated. It was a small plane, four seats here, four seats there, and I'm in 1B. There was no one in 1A. Five minutes later, who comes on the airplane and sits directly behind me with his escort? Ray Charles. And by this time, I had some celebrity clients, but not Ray Charles. So I literally have a heart attack. I recover from the heart attack and I get up and this story is in my next book and I go to his escort. I, I can't tell you what this man's music has meant to me. Do you think I could shake his hand? And she goes, he's not deaf. <laughs> One of the biggest full pause of my life. So I go, Ray, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've meant so much to me and I just want to acknowledge you in this and that. He takes my hand, holds it to his heart. And I sit back there and we take off and I'm in cloud nine, above the clouds. <laughs> we go 30,000 feet. They turn the seatbelt sign off. I pop up again. Ray, do you like animals? Yeah, man, I got two dogs and I love them in this. And I said, I just wrote a book that I'm hoping really changes the way we think about animal health. If I gave your escort a copy, could you get someone to read it to you? He goes, absolutely. I would love that. So I signed the book to Ray Charles and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, whoo, could life get any better? So we land. I have the punchline right over here. Hold it. <laughs> we land and I go to the carousel to get my stupid suitcase with my stupid license in it. And I see these two big doors open up and Ray and his escort a moseying on out and then the doors closed. And I just reminisced on what an amazing experience this was. And then all of a sudden, the doors open again. The escort looks at me at the carousel and comes running over and says, Ray wanted you to have this. It's his Braille magazine signed to me by him. Oh, wow. That's how's, that for a, how's that for one of the 70 stories? Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for this to come out. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it is a trip, you know, especially some of the wacko celebrities. You know, one time I was actually called in as an advisor to advise on George Harrison's condition. And unfortunately, he was in a coma and it was too late. But I got introduced to Phil Spector and George's wife and George's agent as an advisor, not how to treat him, but on health care, about, you know, how to eat and stuff, because the original press secretary for the Beatles left the Beatles after one year because he saw a band at a bar, and that band was the Rolling Stones. So he <laughs> produced the Rolling Stones, and I treated his dog of a malignant tumor of the paw. He was in South America sent supplements via Federal Express, and the tumor went away. Wow. So he got me involved in the music industry. We got to get you as an advisor for George. All these stories are in the book. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this to come out. I'm a huge music fan also, so that's really exciting. Yeah, huge, <laughs> huge music fan. <laughs> 
Well, in this book, in the spirit of animal healing, one of the other things that, that I just appreciate and that is something I always try to talk about in the content that I produce is about our, our animals aren't just physical beings, you know, that they're emotional and they're spiritual beings also. Absolutely. And, you know, and it was making me think of that the true meaning of holistic, you know, is that uh, our, you know, we shouldn't just be focusing on physical health, but like on our pets as a whole. And I, I just get excited whenever I see that, you know, especially someone of, you know, prominence and influence is sharing that opinion also. That's a big, that's why the second book, first book was The Nature of Animal Healing, How Nature Heals the Body. Second book is The Spirit of Animal Healing. Uh, I mean, it's so well known now, the senses dogs have. They know if you're going to have an epileptic seizure up to 24 hours before, they're, they're Sniffing out cancer? Do we know if it's sniffing or is it an electromagnetic spectrum wave? How many cosmic rays or ultrasonic waves or sound waves are hitting your body right now you're not aware of? But they exist. We only have five senses. There are well over 50 perceptions in the physical universe. We're limited by five senses. It's proven that animals have other senses. If a tsunami is coming, they're gone 24 hours before. But our seismographic machines don't even detect it, but the animals do. So, yeah, that's why it's the spirit of animal healing. Well, this has been such a joy to get to speak with you today. Where can our listeners find out more about your work, your new book, and and everything else, your products, and everything else that you have going on? One thing interesting that we just learned three weeks ago was that my book, The Nature of Animal Healing, that I wrote and published in 1999, on Book Authority, it's listed as the best-selling veterinary medicine book of all time. Oh, that's amazing. And The Dog Doc, which is, for anyone that loves animals, you must see this movie. Yes, yes, it's wonderful. Uh, the lady, one of my best friends that produced the movie and created it, her last movie made the shortlist for the Academy Awards. This one was winning awards in festivals all over the United States. It premiered in New York City, was scheduled for three in Hollywood. The next day, COVID shut the movie industry down. I was thinking that was 2020. Even though that happened, that Rotten Tomatoes rates that film in the top 100 nature documentaries of all time. Oh, that's amazing. So so it's dogdocthefilm.com. You know, Amazon has the two books and the best, the information one and my line of freeze dried food and supplements, which is making animals healthy by the thousands every month is DrMartyPets.com. And that has all my education on there, all the products and blah, blah, blah. And we donate uh, a certain percentage to Americans. Uh, service dogs. We donated over 700,000 to them, the service dogs that help people in need out. That's amazing. Well, I make sure we have links to the show notes so everybody can get all these things for their dog and for themselves. Yeah. And uh, and other than, than we're all going to have to keep an eye out for your third book. Is there anything else we should have uh, on our radar for you? Well, no, it's just, you know, don't be afraid to use the two associates that I've used my entire career that helped me be so successful on so many cases, and those are Common Sense 
and Mother Nature. Don't be afraid to use common sense. Like with vaccines. Does it make sense to vaccinate a chihuahua and a great day with the same dose? Does it make sense to vaccinate every one or two years when you know the immunity lasts a lifetime proven? Does it make sense to feed a grain-based food when there's not one tooth in a dog or a cat's mouth flat for chewing grain? That's common sense. Back now by science. So those that's my advice. I'm just like want to scream it from the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've been doing. Now I'm gonna really scream it for the rooftops because I actually put this quote in my lectures now when I lecture. And I quote Kelly Clarkson, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. (laughs) And I have no problem standing up to the heads of any medicine and just say, look at this. You don't know how to do this. Or look at this data on vaccines. Why did you just give that vaccine? Did you take a titer? Is that dog immune? Or look in your records and see how many dogs got sick after their last round of vaccines, not the day after, but eight to 65 days after, which is the documented period where the seizure could happen three weeks later, the tumor could grow four weeks later. So it's, you know, just wake up to the bigger picture, you know, become more holistic, a word I don't like, become more integrative. There you go. You just touched on one thing, just we think if it doesn't happen right away, you know, if there's not an immediate reaction in that moment to getting a vaccine, like an anaphylactic shock or, you know, that that there's no correlation or, or that and, and just it doesn't have to be right that minute when you start going back and looking through the records, you can often put these patterns together. Yeah, that's scientifically documented out of the vet schools, Purdue is doing a tremendous amount of study on the adverse reactions, how vaccines negatively affect the DNA. And I mean, just go online and look at adverse reactions to vaccines. Purdue, Dr. Gene Dodds, Dr. Ron Schultz. Look at the Rabies Challenge Fund that shows that the minimum duration of protection from standardized rabies vaccines given up to one year of age, is five years. It replicated a study done in France that went eight years. The reason it only went five years is the USDA ran out of live rabies virus, needed to challenge the dogs that were properly vaccinated. (laughs) And then just think, when was my last polio shot? Why are my vaccines, why why are my animals due based on a calendar, not based on their immune system? Mic drop. <laughs> Period. Oh my gosh, it has been such a joy to get to speak with you today. I'm so thankful for your time. Pleasure. This is my life. Anytime. <laughs> As Dr. Marty shares in his book, The Spirit of Animal Healing, our companion animals will tell us what's wrong with them. We simply need to listen to them closely and openly. And I truly believe that, which is why I created the Dog Health Journal. You know your dog better than anyone, and you'll always be the first one to realize when their routine or something in their behavior is off. The Dog Health Journal is designed to help you learn what changes to keep track of for your dog's health, and then it gives you a fun and easy way to track these changes each day. 
And with the Dog Health Journal bundle, you'll also get my template for preparing for your next vet appointment. I give you all of my best dog mom life hacks to get the most out of your next vet appointment and make sure that you're communicating everything your vet needs to know to best help your dog. My number one goal is for you and your dog to live a long, healthy life together, which is exactly why I created the Dog Health Journal system. Make sure you check the link in the show notes to find out more about the Dog Health Journal. Your dog and your vet will thank you. Oh my goodness, I am so grateful to Dr. Marty for his time and for everything he shared with us. You know, I've talked before on the podcast about how intertwined my own personal health journey is with the health journey of my dogs. You know, I, I started out trying to get myself healthy and then that made me think, oh, what am I doing for my dogs? I need to help get them healthy too. And as I learned more about doing better for my dogs, it reflected in what I was doing for myself, what I learned about taking care of myself. I was then able to take care of my dogs better. It's been this really intertwined journey over the last 15 years or so. And I thought it was so special that Dr. Marty shared that about his own journey too, that it was him learning how to take care of his own health issues better that led to him thinking, oh, what do I need to do for the dogs as well? And I really loved how he distilled out these three factors that are contributing to cancer in our animals, genetics, vaccinations, and food. And, you know, like I said to him, I know we can't always control the genetics, especially those of us who are passionate about rescue and shelter dogs, which includes Dr. Marty himself, as he shared, but we can definitely control vaccines and food. And most of you probably know that I have become kind of obsessed about all of these things over the past 10 to 15 years. And if you haven't already listened to my other podcast, The Alternative Dog Moms, that I do with Kimberly Gautier, who has been blogging about raw feeding her dogs for the last 10 years. And you can also hear Kimberly all the way back on episode 18 of the Believe in Dog podcast. But that's really Kimberly and I's goal on the Alternative Dog Moms is to talk about all these different things that we're learning and how we're integrating them into our own dogs. And, you know, we want to share with you what we're doing, whether it's working or not. And sometimes you just need to know, like, where do I start? And what does this look like in the day-to-day world? And what do I start with first when I want to make these changes? I can't make 700 changes all at the same time. So what do you do first? And, And to that, I will always say, focus on making improvement to your dog's diet first. And if you haven't seen the Dog Doc documentary about Dr. Marty yet, stop. Do not collect $200 immediately right now. Go and watch this documentary. You're just, you're absolutely going to love it. Uh, If you have one of those TV remotes that you can speak into and just say the dog doc, it should pop right up. It's on various different streaming services, and I think most of them you can watch it for free. And I'll try to have a link in the show notes for you as well so that you can go check out the dog doc. When you watch this documentary, you're just going to wish that every vet office operated like this. And I'll have other links in the show notes for you as well so that you can check out Dr. Marty's books and also some of the things that we talked about, like finding your own holistic vet through the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. I'll have a link to find a veterinarian for you there and also to some of the different PEMF, P-E-M-F companies, devices that Dr. Marty talked about that are amazing for helping dogs with inflammatory conditions and things like arthritis 
I know we have a red light pad that we use that is amazing. It helps us. It helps our dogs. Uh, you definitely have to check out these PEMF products. There's a ton of them available. Most of them start at pretty affordable price points, and these can really make a difference for your dogs. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.